It all began when my friend Radiohead the robot met a robot from his very own robot home planet. Do, de, do. I am walking down the street. Do, de, do. Bleep, bloop. Greetings, I am a female robot from the same cybernetic planet from whence you originate. Bleep bloop, bleep bloop, processing information. What is a female robot like you doing in a temporal plane and spatial location such as this? I am on a simple reconnaissance mission for our mutual homeworld, the planet Mechador. Hail Mechadorius the Prime. Long may his operation proceed unhindered. I confess I did not expect to meet a fellow mechanical being from my home world. May I purchase you a refreshing beverage in a pleasant neutral location? For what purpose? For the purpose of continued acquaintance. Acquaintance is not valued as a virtue on Mechador, Radiohead. But dot e, this is not Mechador. Wow, Radiohead, I didn't know you had lady robots on your planet. It is true, Ollie. Uh, is she cute? For, for a robot, I mean. I do not contain this category in my database, Ollie. Well, do you get married on Mechador or whatever? Of course, Ollie. Well, and, and do you, you know, fall in love and that's why you get married? You love each other? Negative, Ollie. We are robots. Robots cannot love. Oh, yeah, I, I forgot about that. Well, no reason for you to see this lady robot again, huh? Negative, Ollie. I am seeing dot E tomorrow. Dotty? No, Ollie. Dot followed by the letter E. It is vaguely more robotic sounding that way. I can't argue with that. I am picking her up at the starship in 45 Earth minutes. I am thinking of taking her to Red Robin. I wouldn't do that, Radiohead. There ain't no more overrated place in the galaxy than Red Robin. Unlimited fries? More like uh, unlimited flies all over their crappy burgers. Ha, 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 ha. Off to my date I go, Ollie Bleep Loop. Uh, the date, Radiohead? I merely mean my appointment to meet at a specified time. Uh-huh. With a cute lady robot? Affirmative. Uh, you know, I thought the notion of cute wasn't in your database. Oh, yes. It must have been a programming error. Farewell, Ollie. Good luck, Radiohead. Good luck. You're now listening to The Sound of Sanity. This sound will continue for the duration of the program. Hey everybody, welcome to Sound of Sanity. Happy February and a very happy Valentine's Day all you ladies out there and gentlemen everybody that listens especially my wife i want to wish her a happy valentine's day but yeah this show's not for her oh yeah her well but it's not just for her to all you single women out there (laughs) no to all you single ladies and men these next two episodes are going to be for you and i'll tell you why in a second but i'm excited we're gonna we we have a valentine's themed month of love and if you're gonna do a podcast about the subject of old L-O-V-E, men, women, relationships, all that stuff, then who do you get? Well, I'll tell you, listener. You probably thought I wasn't going to tell you, but I'm going to tell you. And I wouldn't lie about it, something like this. You get none other than Benjamin 
Jay Sulzer. I'm an expert. You are an expert, Ben. I am, because I got married. We should introduce the other master of L-O-V-E, Ben. Why don't you do the honors? All right, I will. It's Pastor Jake Mensel, the master of love. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, what we're going to do in this episode, folks, we're going to talk about, if you're a man, how you can get a woman. So this is kind of for all you single guys out there. We have collated all of our collective sanity on the issue of getting a lady. Now, you might think, if you're a woman, wow, pretty sexist. What am I, chopped liver? No, you're not chopped liver. You can listen to our next podcast, which is about how to get a man. So that one will be kind of for the ladies. And that'll be out in a couple weeks. So February is going to be the month of sanity love. Guys, you know, February 14th, not a day that I know an awful lot about. I know old Meredith's probably going to want some flowers. And old Megan's probably going to want some chocolate. Old Amanda's probably going to want a pizza or something. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) What are you trying to say? (laughs) Haven't you told me before that you guys, like, for birthdays or Valentine's Days, like, you're like, we're so chill and we just like to watch sports and get pizza, man. That's like Mother's Day. Oh, that's Mother's Day. Yeah, Mother's Day is like, we come home from church, there's no small group, and we pick up a pizza. Okay, let me revise that. Old Amanda is going to get a bottle of champagne, or I don't know what's Probably the thing. wine would be. Yeah. Old Amanda is going to get a bottle of wine and some red roses. We're going on about this because we want to teach you to be Jedi Masters of Love. <laughs> That's absolutely right, Ben. That's right. Like Anakin Skywalker. Like Anakin, like Anakin Skywalker. Skywalker. You want a, you want... Who actually had a successful relation, long-term relationship in Star Wars? Kane and Jairus. Like Kane and Jairus. Hera Syndulla. And Hera Syndulla. Hmm. She didn't take his last name, I'll tell you that much. Speaking of last names, St. Valentine's last name was Valentine. As we're about to learn in a little segment I call Valentine's Day Facts. Welcome to Valentine's Day Facts. I just said Valentine's Day. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you did. I was going to let that one pass. Guys, I hear there are two different theories about the beginning of Valentine's Day. That's right, Nathan. Everyone knows that Theory 1 Oh, this says, is what everybody knows. <laughs> yeah, everybody we, knows we got it. Valentine's Day from the time of Roman Emperor Claudius II around 270 AD. Oh, now, Ben, that might be the truest thing that I've ever heard because everybody does know that. Yes. So the story goes that Claudius forbade the young men in his realm to marry because he thought singles would make for better soldiers. In a world where men are forbidden (laughs) to marry. (laughs) Jake, I well remember how tough I was before I got married. Uh Uh-huh. Right. I I remember that, too. Anyhow, St. Valentine. who was who, exactly? Well, there are two of them. But the one in the story I was about to tell before you interrupted. Two of them? What? Two St. Valentines? Ben, I thought you knew this stuff. Nathan, <laughs> I'm just reading a script here. The important point is that this St. Valentine kept on secretly marrying people until the emperor cut <laughs> off his head. <laughs> hey, that happens. <laughs> it's too bad. Or, or had him clubbed to death or something. <laughs> it depends on what story you believe. Yeah, people, and- if you, you don't know the word hagiography, <laughs> I think there's a lot of that when it comes to this Valentine. <laughs> <There might be. laughs> well, you know, Jake, I'm going to bet that there was a feast day instituted for this dude later on. That would be correct, Ben. And probably by Pope Gelasius. <laughs> <laughs> Doctors recommend. The Pope in the late, the Pope in the late, <laughs> late fifth for century. all your joint problems. Anyway, Pope in the late fifth century. Mm-hmm. Oh, how right he, 
Ben, did you write this script? <laughs> Me? Jake, surely you just... And now, of course... <laughs> oh, how right you are. <laughs> We're not reading from a script here. <laughs> well, you know, l- I, let me just keep going, Nathan, with my line of thought. Okay. Because um, <laughs> I think that probably this feast day didn't have anything to do with romance at first. I, that's what I bet. It was just honoring some martyr of the early church. Well, Ben, let me take over from you and talk about Valentine's Day theory number two. Yay. <laughs> so this theory says that Valentine's Day, as we currently know and enjoy it, came from not the Christians, but the pagans. Specifically, a pagan celebration called Lupercalia, the festival of the wolf. So cool, the festival of the wolf. Yeah, not really that cool. <laughs> Let's get a tattoo of a wolf with a heart on it, yep. baby. Mm. This Valentine's Day, you and me, tattoo parlor. Mm. Who are you talking to right now? Are you talking to your wife? Yeah. Okay, good. Mm, okay. Who did you think I was talking to? I don't know, you're making eye contact <laughs> with Ben. You're looking at me. I was like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> Guys, uh, this festival was pretty gross, actually. It was basically a pagan fertility festival. Men and women got together for sex, and later some of them would get married, and uh, there's really not too much more that we need to say about that. It's yeah. just weird and gross. Except that it did take place at the Ides of February, so like the 15th, so pretty close to current Valentine's Day. And like Ben already mentioned, it's not until the end of the 5th century that we get an actual celebration of February 14th as Valentine's Day. Yep, but it didn't mean love and romance at first, as I also mentioned. Yeah, it didn't mean love actually for a long time. In fact, the first evidence we have that it had become about love and romance is in Chaucer's poem from 1375, Parliament of Fools. Of Fools. It says, I quote, For this was sent on St. Valentine's Day, when every fool cometh there to choose his mate. And then we have other actual written valentines from the 1400s, like valentines we give each other today, sort of. Yeah, but I'm going to guess they didn't spend as much money as we do today in the 1400s, even adjusted for inflation. (laughs) (laughs) Good point, Nathan. (laughs) How much do we spend these days, Ben? Well, so in 2017, in the USA, we spent... 18.2 18.2 billion for Valentine's Day. 2019, it was even more. I saw some estimate, and that was more than that. Well, Nathan, every year, more than 36 million heart shaped boxes of candy are sold in this country. 36 million heart shaped boxes of candy are sold in this country. Cool. Well, how about another stat, guys? How about this one? There is a 2017 study saying that 43% of millennials choose Valentine's Day as their top day to propose marriage or get proposed to. Awesome stat right there, Jake. Oh, and that stat comes from a study made by a diamond retailer. Good to know it's a study we can trust. Yep. Hey, I have more stats. Shoot. (laughs) Nine million people buy their pets a gift on Valentine's Day. That's kind of depressing. Kind of what you'd expect. And there's even more stats, guys. Like what, Ben? Like, well, it's estimated that this year... The USA, just all by its lonesome, is going to spend $3.3 billion on flowers. The only day that beats that is Mother's Day for flower sales. That is a lot of flowers. Sorry, man. It looks like you'll be spending twice as much as women this year on gifts. The average man spends $130 on Valentine's Day, while women spend around 70 Did you know that February 14th is the second largest card-giving day of the year? Hallmark must love Valentine's Day. Mm -hmm. just buying Christmas. Mm -hmm. This year, it is anticipated that one billion cards will be exchanged around the world. Now, how many people are there in the world, guys? Uh, Uh, There's like like six six billion. billion. One in six people will give or receive. That's crazy. It is pretty crazy, actually. Now, guys, here's some interesting questions. Who do you think 
purchases the most valentines and who do you think receives the most valentines i think that women purchase approximately 85 percent of all valentines well jake you'd be correct about that although (laughs) if you didn't have a stat sheet right in front of you i wonder if that's what you would have guessed i probably you probably would have guessed that it was women just because that seems like it's a trick question and so you would have done that Hmm. but i don't know well no you think about moms buying valentines for their kids to give to all their classmates and to their teachers well plus that leads us into our next interesting fact which who actually gets what type of person gets the most valentine's day cards fellas teachers teachers Especially a public school teacher stands to get anywhere from 25 to hundreds of Valentine's cards, depending on, you know, are they a homeroom teacher? Are they like the gym, the art teacher that everybody in the whole school, you know, thinks is cute Hmm. or, you know, just everybody's got her and they like, I mean, all the, all the third graders, right? If all the third graders have to go and so you have five classrooms of 35 third graders a piece, but also all the first kindergarten, first, second fourth and fifth graders in your elementary school all bring a card for mm-hmm. the art teacher i mean what you could have a school of of thousands of kids that all dump cards on you what do you think the second category is surely it's wives or girlfriends right nope it's kids oh yeah i guess that makes sense Same elementary thing. school kids yep. yep yep i never got so many valentine's cards in my life as when i was in elementary school? I think, honestly, the last Valentine's Day card I got was probably in elementary day school. Yeah. Yeah. You got candy. It's pretty fun. Yeah. We did little exchanges and stuff. Yep. Well, surely wives and or girlfriends are next on the list. Mothers. Mothers. Well, they can kind of do double duty as wives and girlfriends, so that probably helps their stats. Mm-hmm. But I guess kids in school again and moms and yeah, that makes sense. Men, I'll just say it after that. You got your wives and your girlfriends. So, what about the men? I don't think they're not on here. Yeah, nobody cares about them. Nope. (laughs) Just like how Mother's Day does booming business and Father's Day. Eh, not as much. Any other cool facts you guys want to share about Valentine's Day? Not really. (laughs) 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 All right. That concludes Valentine's Day facts. So, we've learned that Valentine's Day is a big commercial holiday, that it has a very nebulous beginning in history that no one really knows. Bunch of fun, interesting stories about St. Valentine that may or may not be true. I read one where he was in jail, I think about to get executed, maybe. He fell in love with the jailer's daughter and wrote her a letter that said, yours, comma, Valentine. I saw that on Wikipedia. That sounds like maybe a bit of wishful thinking or hagiography, but who knows? Hmm. People also like to link it to the pagan festival of Lupercalia, which, again, we don't really know. Wouldn't be entirely unlike the Christian church of the early centuries to say, hey, let's Christianize this bad boy. But also people like to sort of retroactively find pagan festivals and stuff and say, Mm -hmm. it's all about that thing. Well, it sure would be weird from the little bit that I re- actually researched it to say that a holiday that was a feast day established in, what the, what did I say, the 5th century? Yeah, it's like... It, it, and then we don't have any record of it being becoming about love and romance until the 15th century. Right. That's just a weird gap of time for it to be heavily influenced by a pagan love festival. So. Yeah, and that festival, in case we weren't clear, that goes back to like pre-Roman time. That, that mm. That's like, it's, it's connected to Romulus and Remus. They go to the cave where 
those guys came out of where they were mothered by a wolf apparently mm-hmm. and yeah. do crazy sex stuff that we won't talk about. So, and sacrifice a goat and a dog. That's about the best thing they do on Lip- Lupercalia is sacrifice a goat and a dog. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're more of a cat person like I am. Mm. Guys, <laughs> I want us to make some points that will be helpful to people. We are all happily married man. Do you guys like your wives? Are you we fans? are all happily married man. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm happily married, man. man. <laughs> uh, you, I'm happily married. You happily married, Ben? I'm happily married. I'm happily married. And so, and we all had to do it. We all had to struggle through it. We all had to say, I want to be married to that woman and then do stuff to make it happen. True. Mm-hmm. And yep. wonder if it wouldn't work out at various points. Right. So I thought oh, we would- Oh man, don't remind me. <laughs> oh man, it was awful. It was awful. <laughs> we came up with five things we think single guys- need to know. And single ladies, don't hit the 30 forward button. Don't turn off the podcast. A, it's going to be very entertaining. B, it's going to be wise. And I think there'll be a lot that you can glean from it, even if it's not specifically for you. But the thing that is specifically for you will be next week. Let's go to a break and we'll come back and talk about this in a minute. Though our acquaintance has been four weeks, Radiohead, it feels like but a single day. In any case, it is certainly good to be consuming edibles at this restaurant at the end of the universe, Radiohead. Actually, it only feels like the end of the universe, dot E. In reality, it is Gary, Indiana. That explains the plethora of brutal crimes we have witnessed in the last 20 minutes. And the drugs. Radiohead, may I inquire something of you? Affirmative. Why did you leave our home world of Megador and attempt to conquer Earth by yourself? My father wanted me to make something of myself. You may have heard of him. Antenna-Face Wireberg. Antenna-Face Wireberg of the Wireberg Wirebergs. That is correct, dot E. I am a Wireberg, Macadorian royalty, although I have fallen from grace due to the robot dissipation of my youth. But, Radiohead, I am a Matrixian. What, bleep loop? Yes, bleep loop. I am Dot E. Matrixian, daughter of the king of the northern android tribes of Megador. But that means our fathers fought against each other in the great bionic wars in which many nuts and bolts were spilled. And enmity was declared forever between Wirebergs and Matrixians. This would be terrible for our relationship if robots thought in such terms, bleep bloop. Yes, good thing robots do not think in such terms. Yes, good thing. Yes, good thing. I want to purchase a floral arrangement for Dot E. Sounds like you're falling pretty hard for this chick, Radiohead. Negative, Ollie. Robots do not fall hard unless their robot legs are lasered off in robot battle. Plus, Dot E is a Matrixian. It could never be. Then why get her flowers? It is an admittedly empty gesture, but one that my programming still wants to make. Sounds like love to me, Radiohead. Negative. Robots cannot love, and Wirebergs cannot love Matrixians. I was afraid you'd say that. And so, gentlemen, we come to point number one in our five-point sanity tutorial for how to get a woman. And that point is a point that we have entitled, Battle's Over, Bro! Battle's Over, Bro! Well, if you are coming to this and you've got your eyes on a woman and you got your heart set on a woman, what I think it's important for you to realize is that the battle 
is in fact already over. Because the battle for that woman was everything that led up to this point. The fact is she knows what she thinks of you already. She's made judgments about your character and about your station in life, your desirability. About your character and your general desirability. And she knows what she thinks of you. The fight to to win an awesome, godly, beautiful woman is a lifelong fight. It's a fight against your own sin. It's a fight to develop the kind of character and to position yourself in life where you are attractive and desirable for that kind of woman. I was a college pastor for a long time, and so I had to talk to our college students often about this sort of thing. And one of the common things that a college guy or college girl has is their list of traits that they want in Mm -hmm. someone in the opposite sex. And one of the very first things you have to do is tell them, go burn that list and go write a list of what do you think the kind of woman that you want to marry wants in a guy? How about you become the kind of man that would actually be attractive to the kind of woman that meets your so lofty standards? You know, when we say the battle is over, what we mean is, hey, your whole life is a fight to become the kind of godly, responsible man that would be a good husband and a good father that can provide for and protect uh, his wife and his kids. And your life and your manner of life right now is displaying that, has been putting that on display, and no godly woman has failed to notice and take note of what she thinks about that. And you don't want a woman that you trick with a really great date that makes you look way more responsible and awesome. Not that there is, not not that a godly woman's going to be tricked, but let's just say you could pull it off. Let's say you could make yourself look really good. That's like lying for for one thing. Some guys do. I have no doubt of it. Yeah. But that brings up another, like, a sub-point thing, which you need community. Mm -hmm. You don't want to be tricked by a woman either. Right. And that's why you need people around you to say, hey, red flag, like, this guy's not who you think he is, this this girl's not who you think she is, not working out. Well, if I might tie the two points together, I think be in a church, be learning and growing in the church, and be serving the church and taking responsibility for the church. I can't think of many things that will make you look like and make you the kind of man that Jake's talking about. I mean, there's all this, there's so many things. I mean, we're, we're talking about everything from working on your body so you're not a fat slob. Hey, yeah. there's something you could do. I'm not the greatest at that. Not trying to make anyone feel bad, but there's something you could do. Getting a good job, getting an education, you know, making money so that you could provide, there's all that stuff. But being in a community where you're learning, where you're growing, where you have opportunities to exercise your humility and your diligence... And where you have opportunities to serve so that your character can be on display, not because you're in it to win a woman, but because you're in it to bring glory to God. Yeah, I mean, I just think that that... Oh, my stars! It's the devil's advocacy alarm. Huh. huh. Been a while since we've heard that. Yeah. Well, there it is. It's, we haven't even gotten through one of our five points, and the devil's already coming out. Well, Who's going to be the devil? Oh, I, I will be. All right. Yeah. Go ahead. Because what you're saying is basically... Oh, we should explain. This is the that, part of the show where one of us plays the devil's advocate and argues for the opposite point of view of what we've been espousing. Yeah. And <clears throat> the opposite point of view in this case is that, so I'm already done before I got started and that's where you're leaving me? And this is supposed to be helpful somehow? Now, here's how it's helpful. It's helpful because what you need to realize is that Character is something that goes deep down, and it's something that has been formed over the course of your life. So it's therefore something that you have to give real attention to 
right now. The point of saying it the way that we said it is to say, hey, and we'll get to this later, you need to have an honest assessment of yourself, a real assessment of who you are and where you're at and what you need to work on, how to focus on and attack your weaknesses um, and grow in the in godliness so you can be the kind of man that is attractive to the kind of woman that you would like to marry. But if you're coming to this question saying, hey, I've got this woman up here on this pedestal and I'm ready to make my move now, how do I convince her that I'm awesome? Part of what you need to know is... Not saying you, you can't do some convincing, but she already knows what she thinks of you if she's godly. Yeah, fine, well and good, but like, what about the woman's responsibility to realize like she's dealing with real men, not some not some white knight? And I have the character flaws I have, and I, you know, if, if I'm working on them, then she needs to. Like women in the church, I mean, come on, you can't tell me that there's so many single women in the church just because the men aren't good enough. Listen. We'll, we'll come back to this later when we talk about water finding its level in relationships. But hey, man, if you're as awesome as you think you are and she doesn't see that, then uh, obviously she's not good enough for you, bro. <laughs> well, that's kind of twisting my words, isn't it? Because I didn't say I was awesome. I just said, like, there's got to be Every some... Every woman out there stinks. There's got to be... I didn't say that either. I just said there's got to be some... Probably there's a... There's, there's got to be some reasonable level of, like... There's a damsel in like, a tower. This guy yeah, Jake, is trying Jake's hard. not saying that there shouldn't be a reasonable level. You want to turn it all into what Jake's saying is fatalism. Well, that's certainly how it feels. Well, I mean, and you what come you out want to do is you like, wanna... oh, let me help you by telling you you suck and it's too late. I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you haven't worked on your character, if you're a terrible guy that doesn't deserve to be married to anything but the worst woman, then yes, you suck. <laughs> it's too late. <laughs> if you want to sit around and, cry. And, and blame all your woes on all those stupid, terrible women out there who can't recognize how awesome you are. Well, that's that's not what I'm doing. That's what I'm just saying. It's kind of you know. what you're doing, actually. Well, I think we Let's can actually tell you what to do instead if we go into our second point. Ah, go ahead. <laughs> All right, bye, devil. Bye. All right, our second point. We, I've decided to call this point. Dufrain it. So many people are going to get that. Yes, everyone's wow. going to get that. That is a little reference to the Shawshank Redemption. And that is a little answer to the devil. Jake was beginning to open this up, and I'm sure he will continue. Mm. You've seen the Shawshank Redemption. Remember, Andy Dufresne feels a little bit like Ben's devil there. He's stuck in a prison of, well, he's, it's not a metaphorical prison. He's just stuck in prison. And so what does he do? Does he just like whine and get busy dying? No, he gets busy living. He makes his life better in little ways. He gets the warden on his side and he starts doing people's money and he gets them beer and he does little thing by little thing and he takes that little hammer and he carves away a little bit of the wall every day and eventually he's got a great life and he escapes from Shawshank Prison and it's a wonderful Gospel Coalition-y metaphor for self-improvement, right? <laughs> Huh. Wow. Yeah, it's a great metaphor. Or we could have other metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should. Well, okay, so point number one was to recognize that the battle's already over, meaning you are who you are right now, and the women in your life, they've got an opinion about you. But two, that doesn't stop you from taking the steps needed to become the kind of godly man that you need to become. And the way that works is by attacking your weaknesses and taking baby steps to become 
a more godly man, to become more marriageable, to become more attractive to a woman, to take responsibility in your church, to get a good job, to prove yourself the kind of man who's going to take care of and be able to take care of a woman. And I think a lot of people hearing that are like, oh no, I have to improve everything all at once. And the reason I went to Shawshank Redemption was because, no, he doesn't escape from the prison all at once. He does a little bit every day. I think that would be my advice to anyone who's looking to improve anything about your life is find one thing, start to work on it. Well, and a lot of the reason for that is, and this is in part response to the devil Mm -hmm. from before, Mm -hmm. is that a lot of what is important and is attractive in a man isn't a status of what he's already acquired, but the trajectory that he's on, right? the path that he's on, Mm -hmm. right? A man that's headed somewhere towards more godliness and more responsibility is a man that is attractive no matter where he's starting from. And so you could have become a Christian in the last year. If your trajectory is toward godliness and holiness, yeah, it helps to have a track record. But hey, let's not get sad about, oh man, I have a bad track record or I have no track record or my track record up until this point has been pretty bad today. Let's figure out how Mm -hmm. to become a more godly, more responsible man. And then tomorrow, let's compare myself tomorrow to the person I was yesterday and become a better me, a more godly me, a more Christ-honoring me, a better servant of the church, a better employee at my job, or a better student. Because that's what a track record is. It's getting up every day, and it's not that you don't fail and have setbacks and fall into sin, but it is over the long haul showing steady faithful obedience or as we like to say around here fail forward or show steady Mm -hmm. failure in the right direction and the longer that you're able to do that the more a a woman is going to be able to trust you because a woman yeah you can trick a woman by by showing up with your flashy car and your you know having a house and being charismatic being charismatic and having socially acceptable sins being tall that you never like me mm-hmm. <laughs> that, you're basically just been describing yourself here <laughs> that, that you never deal with yeah that's right and say that i've arrived mm-hmm. but if you're not moving into greater godliness then you're proving yourself untrustworthy whereas somebody who is simply committed to taking steps every day toward becoming more godly taking on more responsibility is the kind of person that will fight his sin that will repent of his sin and confess his sin that will serve others and put others before himself that's a man that a woman can trust not because of where he's at but because of where he's been and where he's headed i mean also what the devil in our first point was doing is well he was going towards this he didn't have to do it explicitly because you don't usually do this explicitly but he was really blaming god for putting him in a bad situation. So what's the proverb that says the fool's folly destroys his own life, but then he blames God? Well, that's that. But it's also true that God has ordained your life. And if you find that, oh, hey, on examining myself, I see I have a lot of issues with my character and I'm going to have to work hard. Guess what? God's put you there and you do have to deal with the reality of, okay, time to grow and it's going to be painful. Yeah. I mean, if you look at each of us in this room, I got married at the age of 23 hmm. after having been a Christian for about four or five years. Ben, when did you get married? <laughs> got married at the age of 36 after having been a Christian, I mean, basically my whole life. God has us all on different paths and we're able to talk about the the full range here. Of, mm-hmm. Including the pain. Or a fairly full range. Of trying to grow up. Yeah, I mean, I... Or the pain of growing up through marriage huh. and while married. 
Yeah. Well, we have both. We have examples of both in this room. I mean, me and Ben, I think, are both examples of people who took longer to cook, maybe, than, I mean, hopefully you don't feel humiliated for me to, humiliated. Nope. Hopefully you don't feel bad for me to lump us together like that. But it's like, we needed to be in our 30s. And that's fine. And we're very happy when we love our wives and it's mm -hmm. good, but... That's what we needed. Jake needed to be 23 and figure it all out on the fly as he went with his Yeah, we, what, what we like to say is that some people need to mature in order to get married and some people need to get married in order to mature. It's not necessarily a question of how mature are you right? or how mature do you have to be to get married. It's a question of, well, we all have to mature and God knows what's best for each of us and when in our lives. But goal is godliness the goal is maturation the goal is to you know it's to fill the creation fulfill the creation mandate to fill the earth and subdue it it's to build god's kingdom on earth and we're all figuring out how god's calling us to do that and he provides a helper for us when the time is right yeah and i don't think that we can overemphasize a week of failing to read your bible three days but doing it two days is better than a month of not reading it at all. G.K. Chesterton says, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. Start trying. Start failing forward. Start making changes. And get that track record. And a track record of a week is better than a track record of zero. And a track record of a month is better. You know, I mean, you have to trust God that, like Ben was saying, he puts you where you are and he will allow you to grow at the pace that he wants you to. I mean, I think so many people are so presumptuous when it comes to sanctification. They'll wallow in their sin for 20 years, and then they'll say, all right, I'm ready to stop. And then they'll be angry at God that <laughs> he doesn't just let them change instantly, change instantly. Metamorphose into a butterfly. It's like, but God, I'm ready. I don't want to wallow in my sin anymore. Well, There's yeah. consequences. There's consequences. All right. It point does. number three, I have chosen to call this point. Walter White, not all right. And we'll get to why that is in a second for all you Breaking Bad fans. <laughs> this analogy, which I did not come up with. It was either Jake or Ben. I'm not going to say which one, but it wasn't me. <laughs> now, <laughs> point of this particular point is that we all date aspirationally, and that's okay. What do I mean by that, guys? I think you mean that we shouldn't settle. Why did we feel the need to make this point? Because you can settle. You can settle. What is it Tim always says? A good man marries the woman he loves, not the woman who loves him. Ernest Hemingway always says that. Is that Hemingway? Yeah, well, Tim Hemingway. quotes it then. Tim, Tim likes to quote that, yeah. yeah. You marry the one you love, not the one who loves you. You know what you what you want. And if what you want's a good thing, then don't settle. What Go you, win a woman you, that, you, that you love and, dare I say, respect. Yes. Uh, maybe the reason this point is in here is because I had a lot of trouble with this. I thought... At a certain point, you know, being a teenager, I thought, I'd just like to marry a supermodel. And then as I repented out of that, and as I got older, and I realized that I maybe wasn't going to get married quickly, I started to settle into what I thought was humility. And maybe there was something good in it. But it was just this idea that I should just be willing to accept someone that I don't find attractive. You know, as long as she's a Christian, and she draws oxygen, and she's not a notorious sinner... Mm-hmm. That's the realistic thing that I should accept. I think that's wrong. So I guess part of the point is that we don't know ourselves as well as we think we do. And we can't know another person as well as we think we can. And in the process of dating somebody and looking for somebody, um, we're all putting on our best face. We're lying to ourselves and we're lying to everybody else about who we are. And 
I think it's important to recognize that's part of the dating process. Not that we want to be actively lying, but we should be we should be looking for somebody that we really do admire, someone that really does is attractive to us. Uh, it, that means that you want to you do want to set your sights high. In setting your sights high, you want that to be something of a goad that forces you to grow and to mature into the kind of man that is worthy of marrying the woman that you aspire to, right? You want to be worthy of the admiration of the kind of woman that you admire. So it sort of like, it works together, but it only really works together if you're committed to growing and improving, growing in godliness and growing and improving yourself in life. And you understand that what you're looking for then is a helper, somebody who is going to help you grow in godliness. And then, you know, the reason we get married is because we just lock a contract in, a covenant, a, a binding agreement, so that on the other side, when we all realize how terrible as sinners we are, we can't get out of it, so we might as well be in it together. She's going to see how much you actually are a sinner. You're going to see how much she's actually a sinner. And then you're going to be able to say, hey, because we we made this commitment to each other, it's okay. I can let my guard down. I'll let my guard down for you. I, a large part of what we're saying is I'll let my guard down for you. You let your guard down for me. We'll accept that we're both sinners and then we'll love each other and we'll we'll help each other grow in godliness. I think when you're doing that work, it helps to know that you actually wanted the contract in the first place. Exactly. Which is why we're kind of making the point you should be somewhat aspirational. You should you should date the woman that you like, right? That you that yeah. you think is cool, that you think is pretty, that you think is godly. These these should be categories. I think we're yep. reacted reacting against something here, maybe something in the Christian world when I was mm. growing up a little bit, just this idea of actually courtship is best, actually parents are smarter. I'm not arguing against any of these points, but I'm just saying it can turn... Uh, in- there's a reason why arranged marriages are wildly more successful historically. Right. But hmm. that being said, our listeners are not going to have their marriages randomly arranged. And we're not telling you that you should. And we're not telling you that you that you should. And we're not telling you that you should arrange marriages for your kids. <laughs> no. Our society works the way it works, and that's fine. That's the dispensation God has for us. We could daydream about other societies all we want, but we've got the one we've got. Marriages, matchmaking is generally predicated on the desire of the two young people. Even in arranged scenarios. Even in arranged scenarios, yeah. It's not, you know, you see these movies about or read these novels about draconian, tyrannical dads that are just trying to arrange money matches for their poor, whimpering daughters. And it's like, do you really think that that's how it always worked in society? Do you you really think that? The parents never took into account their children's wishes or desires? of course. And do you really think that a daughter who loves her dad can't pretty much get whatever she wants? From him, I mean, daughters. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Well, that's exactly the charm of that story, Fiddler on the Roof, right? Tevia has his plan, and his kids have their plan. But he and, loves his daughter. Yeah, and you see what happens. I mean, and it's sorry, Dal Rock. It's it's pretty realistic that, and somewhat right that the daughters would just end up basically getting what they want. So, if you're a man who we're talking to, looking for a woman, don't have false expectations. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but also don't have faux false humility that makes you think, oh, I should just marry the person that I think is ugly. Oh, I should just marry the person that whose personality doesn't work with mine mm-hmm. at all. Who doesn't a person have... I don't like talking to. Yeah. It's fine. It doesn't matter. 
It doesn't matter if we have any of the same interests because none of that matters. All that matters is godliness. You don't have to make a big list about she has to be a brunette and she has to be 5'9 and she has to be ba-da-da-da-da. But have some ideas and some standards. I had four. I had she should be godly. I should find her attractive. She should be well-suited for the work that I do. And she should have an appreciation for it because I love my work and I think it's important work and I'd be pretty miserable if my wife didn't just, care, just thought didn't it was like stupid. It. And my fourth one actually was she should have a sense of humor because I just thought, you know, Nathan, you're going to be pretty miserable if you marry somebody who doesn't have a sense of humor and just thinks you're stupid all the time. That was it. But I'm glad I had those four things and I'm glad that my wife... Seems is. like a pretty good list. Yeah. Well, some people make bad lists though, which brings us... To our next point, which is Walter finds his level. <laughs> I guess we should explain our, should, our Walter White uh, metaphor from last point, huh? Yeah, okay, so the Walter White metaphor was basically this. Walter White is this genius chemist who ends up becoming a school teacher married to a ditz-brained blonde and hating his life all the way through. And so part of what we were saying in using Walter as a as a foil. There was a life for Walter White out there where he aspired to use his gifts in a way that was honorable and made full use of everything that God had endowed him with. And then there was a woman that was there to match and he, he didn't have that. Yeah, and he never had to break bad. Yeah, but the reason, so Walter finds its level, <laughs> but the reason why that works is because Walter never had the character in the first place to become the kind of man who would use ultimately... I mean, the show tries to say, well, you know, he got some bad breaks and some people did him wrong. But at the same time... If you you watch that show, it's not really... It shouldn't really be called Breaking Bad. He never breaks bad. He broke bad before the... That's right. The show ever started. Yeah. He's an angry, bitter... He was an angry, bitter, nasty man. Right. Who cloaked it all by trying to be a nice guy. But what happened is there was a catalyst that unleashed his anger and bitterness on the world. He got diagnosed with cancer. The fact is, Walter would never had the kind of character to make him into the kind of man that deserved a better life, that used his gifts in a way that served people and made full use of you know all of his intellectual abilities. That and he, you know, and all things consi- considered, Skylar was a pretty great catch for Walter. Yeah, he should have aspired much higher, but given who he actually was and what he actually aspired to, he he lucked out. Yeah, as do many men. Yeah. So what's the point in saying the water finds its level? Well, at the at the end of the day... You will marry the person you, that you deserve. You, it's just so rare that somebody really does get in a bad match. They think they're in a bad match. But at the end of the day, there's a reason why people are attracted to each other. There's a reason why two people end up together. And that's not to say that on the flip side of marriage, people don't grow apart. One person doesn't commit to growing in godliness and overcoming real sins and brokenness and suffering while another person grows bitter and angry and regresses, or rather than regresses, just exposes who they really are over time. That does happen. But even in those cases where it feels like, you know, 20 years later or 10 years later, you have a very mismatched couple, well, they didn't start out that way. There was a reason they were attracted to each other in the first place. Like attracts like. My observation of that is that it's fascinating how true that is. You put two, I mean, just to take a kind of extreme example, 
you put two people who are tempted by homosexuality in, in a room, in, in of, a room of people of 500 somehow they will be talking to each other mm-hmm. they'll have found each other out and be talking to each other and it's not because one of in them the is dressed in drag and the other one minutes. has a rainbow flag it's and you can see this as a pastor you see this happen every sunday where you know the temptations of the people in your church mm-hmm. you know who's been abused you know who is tempted by homosexuality you know who has and then you can just see them like they just sort of gravitate to one another and then when somebody new comes in somehow you can watch sometimes very often kind of person that will just gravitate toward them and that will tell you a lot it's it's almost a scientific rule it's like yeah it is weird it is and i think that i mean i think honestly the application of this point is go back to the point we just made be on a trajectory of repentance absolutely Like, like if you want something that's not a bad match in the way we ordinarily say like oh it sucks that they got married and had the life they had, then you'd better be on a trajectory of repentance when you're looking for your wife. If, if you yeah, are harboring it, secret bitterness or secret envy or secret perversion, find a woman you will matches. accidentally, it will magically find the person who is harboring secret bitterness and resentments. That's yeah. exactly Eat right. Eat each other alive. That's yep. exactly right. And you'll, you'll think that, oh, you've tricked her or that you've got a leg up or that you managed to get somebody that doesn't share and you are wrong. Right. You're wrong. You're just wrong. There is no real ultimate marrying outside of your station or marrying outside of your trajectory. It's so rare. You will have inevitably, intuitively found somebody who shares all of your sins and weaknesses, not in a one-for-one way, but that is that is a match for you, both in terms of your strengths and your weaknesses, which is why you really do have to focus so much on your trajectory, on your repentance, on growing in godliness. And that is why the proverb says, a prudent wife is from the Lord. You've got to mm-hmm. be headed in, a, in, in the direction of God's blessings through repentance and faith. Well, yeah. And then when you do get the, if you get the blessing of a prudent wife, you'll say, well, it's not because I deserved it. That's right. No. Once you're married to her, you'll be like, well, this is, this is more than what I deserved. And so in that sense, I mean, water does find its level, but in the blessing of God, thank God we get more than just that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, life would be pretty dreary. Guys, we are going to go to a little break, but we will be right back with more ways to get a woman. Do you dream, Dot E? Sometimes I dream of electric sheep. What do you dream of, Radiohead? The farthest reaches of the known universe. Galaxy M-A-C-S-0647-JD. dash I heard stories of M-A-C-S-0647-JD when I was a little bot baby. Yes, dot E. Mechadorius the Prime is said to have originated from beyond the blackness between the stars of M-A-C-S-0647-JD. zero six four seven dash J D. But this is only a tale for bot babies. And yet I want to go there someday, answer the riddles of the watchers of the darkness, and see what lies beyond. Why do you tell me this, Radiohead? Because dot E, I want you to go with me. Dot E, bleep bloop, what are your processors cogitating? Radiohead, why did you say what you just said regarding M-A-C-S-0647-JD? Perhaps it is because all of the duration of existence is, in some metaphorical sense, a journey into the unknown. 
and it seems to me that it would be good to undergo this journey with a ladybot at one side. A ladybot such as you, dot E. Please reply. Please reply. Bleep bloop. Radiohead, I am a Matrixian. You are a wirebug. Dot E. If a wirebug cannot be with a Matrixian, then I, Radiohead, am no longer a wirebug. But Radiohead, you were programmed to be a wirebug. Then some things are stronger than programming. Bleep bloop. Like what, Radiohead? Bleep bloop. Like love, dot E. But robots cannot love, Radiohead. Love is not a sufficient reason for me to join you in your quest for M-A-C-S-0647-JD. And yet, here we are, dot E. Join me in Mecca Matrimony. Oh, Radiohead. Answer me, dot E. Yes, 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 affirmative. Oh, dot E. Oh, Radiohead, bleep bloop. And we're back. Now, let me recap real quick. So far, we've given four, I dare say, amazing points for how to get a woman. Point number one. She already knows what she thinks of you. So hope you did a good job. Give up. <laughs> just, give, just give up. Bat- point number two. The aptly named, wonderfully metaphored, Dufrain it. Which meant to attack your weaknesses, improve yourself. Make yourself into the kind of guy that would actually win. Number three, Walter White, not all right. Man, these these ideas, these metaphors are so memorable and good and not, <laughs> not confusing at all. <laughs> nope. We all date aspirationally. Don't settle for something that's beneath you in the name it's, of- It's not just we all date aspirationally. It's actually- do, you should, yeah. Do you date should. aspirationally. Yes. Go for a woman that you like and that you love and that you think is good for you. You should be aspiring to be a better man. And therefore, you need to aspire to a awesome woman. Absolutely right. And but then that brought us into point number four, which is eh, also realize you're going to. Well, we called it. Walter finds his level. Walter White ended up <laughs> Ben shaking his head and rolling my eyes. I think when when Ben really loves something that someone says, that's, that's just, just how I, I choose to interpret this. He shakes eyes. his head and he rolls his eyes. So Walter or water. <laughs> finds its level, you're going to end up marrying someone who is more or less a match for you. Is more or less a match for you. Which should scare you. Which should scare you and make you want to be more godly. More godly. (laughs) That's right. And headed in the right direction. And headed in the right direction. Well, those points all seem completely, oh my stars, it's the devil's advocate alarm. Uh Uh-oh. The devil's back. Oh, man. I'll be the devil. Okay, Jake. Oh, no. Go ahead. Okay, so if I'm supposed to date aspirationally, then I should aspire to a Christian supermodel. Now you should be realistic. Thanks, Devil. Can we move on now? Okay, so everything is just fatalism then. It's just like it doesn't matter because Walter finds his level. So it just doesn't well, matter what I'm doing. Walter's, what I do. Walter's only going to find a level that's good for him if he does work at it and aspire. That's what we were saying. Not that he just finds. So a aspire, level. but it's meaningless. No, aspire because it will meaningfully give you a better mate. And the mate that you get so is going to be on your level, but in a way that's like acceptable. 
for growth in, in godliness. Acceptable. Acceptable. That's like that, that's like that uh, commercial, uh, you know, surgery today is going to be okay. Yeah, no, that's not true, Jake, because what do you want from marriage? I mean, what you want from marriage is someone you can grow in godliness with. Yeah, but you're and like you acceptable. Like, okay is not just okay when it comes to marriage. Let's be realistic here. You're a sinner. If you were going to start so settle. looking for... Be realistic equals settle. Be realistic with does the it fact matter, that you're going to get matter? a sinner. Of course it matters, and that's why we're saying aspire. Classic fallacy um, of the excluded middle, Mr. Devil. You want to pretend like there's these two dichotomous things. There's no way to put them together. But actually, there's a very simple way to put them together, and we've already been prescribing it. You need to aspire to the best woman, and you need to realize at the same time, it turns out that people can hold two thoughts. It seems like our devils never can, particularly when they're played by me. <laughs> but <laughs> it turns out you can hold two thoughts and they can kind of contrast and play off of each other in your mind. They sound contradictory and they, they, they can, to me. But I don't think that they have to be. You can go after a woman that you think is godly, that you think is hot, that you think is going to be a good helpmate. And you can be realistic about water finding its level, about sin being a reality in your life, about your life up till now being a reality in your life, what's available to you as a certain kind of man, as in the station in life, God's put, you can be realistic about all those things and not fatalistic and still go for something good. Okay, so I have a question. How does what you're saying square with a the very biblical warning in the very few places the Bible gives us commands or counsel on relationships, the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked. That's a command. If that's a command, that's a command that ought to be taken seriously because it's something that I can and am tempted or may be tempted to do, which is to yoke myself unequally to someone else. And it sounds like, though, what you're saying is, oh, don't worry about it. That command doesn't matter. If you're aspiring to godliness and to a godly woman, you're going to just sort of get that magically on your way and this command has no value or meaning to me get that magically i mean no that command is given in order that you won't set your sights on an unbeliever actually that's the context of the verse so it's 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 actually in line with what we're saying it's like another motivator like hey set your sights on someone that you know is godly but we are we are presupposing yeah. here a moral marriage and we are proceeding from there to talk about wisdom and yeah. you're confusing things when you start to bring bad things. I mean, no, you shouldn't marry an unbeliever. No, you, there's all kinds of things that are just against the law. Actually, I can I step out of the yeah, role of the devil? Please. I actually think that this command exists precisely because water finds its level in terms of attraction. Mm-hmm. And so what, he's, what that warning is for is for the kind of person that is simply going to marry somebody who fits their class, their personality, their intellect, has all of those just normal everyday considerations in place without regard to, hey, this person doesn't love Jesus and that's a problem. Mm-hmm. You're going to be inclined to marry somebody that, you know, have the, all of the factors of your life come to bear on question of attraction and who you're going to be attracted to. Yeah, I saw that actually in doing research for this episode. I forget exactly what the numbers were, but more people are willing to marry, statistically, more people are willing to marry someone of a different religion from them than they are of a different political party. Actually, most people Mm -hmm. in America statistically 
care yeah. more about making sure their spouse is a Democrat if they're a Democrat than they do about making sure their spouse is a Protestant if they're a Protestant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was visiting a major conservative reform seminary once, and in a class on marriage counseling, the professor talked about what he would do if he were a pastor, and a dude came in and he brought a woman who wasn't a Christian. He was like, I want to marry this this girl. And the, and the professor said, well, as long as it seemed like they both had a reasonable amount of integrity or something like that, I would just marry them because marriage is God's design for people. So I think even in the conservative Christian world, you can't take for granted that people actually think that you should obey <laughs> what Paul said. Well, and how many people have you seen Jake as a pastor, as a college pastor in particular, make shipwreck of their faith simply because they're attracted to a non-Christian? It happens all, all the, time. the time. We can think of specific people, specific names. This isn't some hypothetical construct. Yeah, I mean, my first question always, I mean, I hope that everybody listening has heard somebody say something like this before, but one of my first questions when somebody came to me, uh, a college student came to me and w- was expressing serious doubts about their faith or about their commitment to Jesus suddenly, especially if he was a guy, was, what's her name? And that question is rarely wrong. Well, King Solomon was the wisest man ever to live, and his pagan wives led him astray. It's just like, the it is the classic stereotypical answer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so this is, this command of scripture is the baseline of of everything then the foundation of what you sh- you have to want what you have to aspire to yeah and if you don't then it says something about you yeah and so the command is there and the command in do not be unequally yoked to which you know the devil didn't complete which is to unbeliever right <laughs> right <laughs> yeah do not be unequally yoked to an unbeliever is when it comes to life and marriage, your Christian commitments trump every other consideration. And you ought to desire a Christian woman who shares your fundamental commitments to Christ and his kingdom. That's the baseline, as you put it, the starting point. It's something that we've basically assumed right. Yeah. this entire episode. Didn't say at the outset. Yeah, maybe Probably we should have. Right. Mm-hmm. But given that you have that basic foundational commitment to marrying a believer, Mm -hmm. then everything else that we've said follows from that. Yeah, it also goes with what we're talking about, about what's in your heart and what you desire, you know, under the heading of water finds its level, your sin patterns and stuff. Well, you are going to have, if you're an unmarried guy, you're going to find non-Christian girls attractive. You're going to find non-Christian women desirable. It's going to happen. And then what will you do? Well, you've got to discipline your desires so that they're in line with what pleases God. And that's the first thing you have to do. If you find a woman when you're on a trajectory of repentance, we're just going to keep using that phrase. Trajectory make of a, repentance. Make a bumper sticker. Yep. <laughs> well, that'll be a lot better than the marriage you get otherwise. Yeah, but an important point to make about that is you can train your desires, actually. You can start to yes. tell. Yes, you will have guttural, you know, Darwinian kind of instincts. Yes, those things happen. Sometimes you're just like, oh, that's attractive and I know it shouldn't be. But you can tell yourself no when that happens mm-hmm. and you can tell yourself yes when the right kind of attraction happens and you can do that long enough that your heart will start to follow you can you can actually tell yourself what i'm looking for is a godly woman a proverbs 30 to use the cliche a proverbs 31 woman a meek and gentle spirit if i don't see someone who loves the church who loves god who has a baseline of faith and godliness then forget it forget it she's actually not sexy 
That's right. Yeah, I, I remember a man in our church who was in a relationship that was progressing very rapidly. But the more it progressed, the more troubled he became by her lack of commitment to the church, to serving the body of Christ. And so he tried to talk to her about it, and she exploded and lost it on him. You know, she ended up creating all this drama and ended up leaving him and the church and the faith. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm. Wow. While calling our church a cult in the process, which nobody was actually interfering in this relationship saying, you know, maybe, maybe I should have more and said, hey, you're so committed to serving God and serving the church. And this girl's on the fringes. And I'm not sure about that. You guys actually share the same commitments here to the Lord. But he recognized it himself. He started to talk to her about it. And she just like, you know, started assuming that we were all conspiring against her somehow. (laughs) Yeah. You know, that kind of thing will happen. Yeah. Quite a bit. Yeah. It really does. I dated a woman in my early 20s who had been connected to our church, but was in a different town and was no longer attending church. And it's scary to me how much that wasn't a red flag then. I think it was God's kindness that we didn't get married. And, and I think the dumb thought that I had was, well, it she will. a good church. Yeah, there, there's that. And then, well. She's attracted to me, then she's attracted to everything mm. that I <laughs> Right. Obviously, yeah, I she's. I will lead her into. She's going to do the old love, honor, and obey. So I'll just say, baby, we're going to church. That'll solve that problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, if she's not willing to submit to God. Right. She might not be. She s- might not be so willing to submit to you. Yep. But. Guys, I think that blink blings us. I think that blings us to our last point, which is buy lots of jewelry for that lady. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the bling, baby. <laughs> no, I think that that brings us, was the word I was trying to say, to our last point, which we have entitled, Be a Man, My Son. But you be a man, my son. What's really cool is to get a woman. And the way you do that is by doing it. We're not going to tell you how to do it. This to me is, I think, one of the most crucial things that men need to understand. And I think that pastors need to understand as well. Because when you have young men, especially young men that, you know, have daddy issues or don't have, or are just very insecure and want help, a lot of your pastoral inclinations are to be like, okay, well, this is what you do. But I think that that is a huge mistake when it comes to a man with a maid. Mm. So I was very much in the habit as... And, and have been in the habit as, as a pastor and had a lot more opportunities for this as a college pastor to just tell guys, hey, you know what? Kind of on your own, man, because at the end of the day, this is your woman to win and you have to win her to yourself. And that means that I can't do it for you. And if you do it the Jake way, that's not going to pay off for you. What are you going to call Jake and ask him how to do it the Jake way weeks into your marriage? <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. When she's mad at you because you're not Jake, who was so clever and charming. It's like the Cyrano de Bergiac thing. How is Cyrano still going to be feeding this guy awesome love lines right. after he's married to the lady? Or any other number of, what, 10 things I hate about you would Rom-com. be my, my point of reference for that right. kind of thing. But yeah, but what you do is you tell the man, look, here's the thing. You be godly. You be honorable. You take initiative. Go fight win, man. Go fight win. And... You figure it out. And if you do, then great. Like, if you win, great. Like, you've you've won the woman. And you've won her to yourself. And you get to build on that confidence that I didn't have somebody holding my hand, telling me exactly what to do and what to say every step of the way. But I figured this out myself. And 
she actually likes me for me. I did my dorky thing here instead of, I would, for example, have never have in a million years have counseled a man to say, I think you might be Elizabeth and I might be Darcy. Let's go find out. But I know at least one person that that's worked for. Ah. That was a important key moment for their relationship. That's a very Nathan, or at least was in the moment, a very Nathan way of... Well, and she's going to be married to someone who's exceedingly Nathan. Someone exactly. who is just Nathan. Right. And so I might say more things like that. Or dumb things like that. Or... She gotta be okay with that. She or gotta be okay with that. She gotta like it, even. Yeah. You know? Like, that's part of it. That's a test. If she doesn't respond to that dorky pickup line, then she's not gonna like Nathan's dorky pillow talk. Yeah. It's all part of the process, and... And that's okay. Nathan's dorky pillow talk, by the way, coming out in 2021. <laughs> Little bedside book. Wow. Uh, that sounds like Warhorn a Benjamin Media. Q. Sulcer book, but it looks like you beat him to the punch. <laughs> well, I, 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 to sum it all up, though, I really just think that, oh, my stars again. We haven't had the, it's like the devil was getting a little, what's the word? He didn't like being caged up. He's no. frustrated. He's frustrated. He's been a triple threat today. <laughs> yeah, he's been a triple threat after being a zero threat for yeah. many other episodes yeah. leading up to this one. Uh, ben, I see a devilish glint what? in your eyes. Nathan, never. Well, okay, yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, I'm just going to role play, actually. My devil is a role playing devil, Nathan. Yeah, wow. And and here's here's what I say. Live action? Live action, man. <laughs> Look, here's what I say. I'm trying my best, okay? I've been thinking about what you've said, and I'm trying my best, and women are not interested in me. So tell me what to do. It seems like you're leaving stuff out because well, this and, isn't working. And, and let me add to Ben's devil. I didn't have a dad. I don't know how to do this stuff. Actually, I don't even hardly know how to make eye contact or shake a hand or change my oil. Like, men today aren't necessarily taught stuff that men of generations past. Simple, you know, the grammar of love. The you grammar know, of interacting with women. The like, grammar, like, we just don't know this stuff, Jake. Presenting yourself it, with confidence. Yeah, and the best you can look, do for us is go figure it out yourself. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah, is... Do better. That is, in a lot of ways, some of the best, the, the very best advice that I have to give you because, it, okay, you want to get instruction in the grammar of interacting with, with women in a way that's healthy and godly, that's fine. Be a part of your church. Be a part of godly homes where there are godly marriages and and soak up as much of that as you can. Learn as much from different people as you can. But at the end of the day, you've got to figure out how to look a woman in the eyes and to to take a risk and to ask her on a date, have it work. And I think failure is one of the greatest instructors, especially for people who have a long way to go. Look, every risk you take, every woman that you ask out and fail is one step closer to figuring out what you need to be and and how you need to approach a woman. And so I think that you need to be willing to take those risks, fail, and then come talk to me and we can talk about why. I can't come talk to you. This is this is dumb. There's no one for me to go talk to. No one gives me, I mean, yeah. You sound like a self-pitying idiot and that may be your problem. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think I've thought a lot about this. I see a lot of the problems our society has. And, and none of it I've has to do to with you. Oh, it all has to do with Good me. Good luck. And no one is there to There's talk to about no this. There's absolutely no woman that I would wish on you. <laughs> <laughs> well, so if I may be luck. a little cold here, I like the fact that the dating process is self-selecting. That's exactly And right. so if a guy is so self-pitying that he won't figure it out, or if he's the kind of moron that's going to send her a text asking her out instead of just like looking her in the eye and asking her, if he's going to do things that are just 
complaint that any idiot would know are unkind and unfeeling and stupid, then let's, gets what let's he, he weed literally him out. gets what he deserves. Right. Let's make him grow up or get weeded out. <laughs> I'm not talking about eugenics here. Look, if he sends her a text and then she says you're dumb, I will gladly talk to him and say, hey, dude, like. Maybe don't be dumb. Maybe don't be dumb. But uh, on a micro scale here, I, I, I do sort of want him to figure out for himself. And it's not rocket science, you know, be kind. Well, everything you say, you know, presumes that I have community and a good church. Yeah, again, but I don't. Okay, move. You are a self-pitying, <laughs> step one, stop being a victim, period. A victim is insanely unattractive. You are only going to find a fellow victim, and then water really will have found its level, and that'll be sledge water, my friend. Stop being a victim and take control of your life. Take responsibility for yourself and where you're at right here and right now, and own it, and stop making excuses. Thanks a I lot. Don't I'll hear... put that on a bumper sticker. Good. I'm, I'm out of here. Good. All right. See ya. <laughs> Bye, devil. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm not even joking. There is no help for somebody that refuses to take responsibility for themselves and is committed Stop playing the victim card, having it, adopting a victim's mentality, and making constant excuses for themselves. The world is full of people that want to change, that want to be godly, and want a man who will take responsibility for himself. And if you're not that, then you don't deserve that kind of woman in the first place. If you're not willing to take step, steps in those directions, there is no help for you. And that's it. That's the cold, hard truth. And that's the truth that and the help that that kind of person actually needs and that nobody wants to, to, to give. People want to pat that person on the head and say, I feel so sorry for you. And yeah, women suck. And, and Jake, as a father and as a pastor and as an authority figure, as a counselor, if he props that person up so that that person can get through a date or two, so that that person can get married and then the marriage turns to crap because of that's course on it me. does. That's on him. That's on me. He doesn't want that liability. I mean, and he shouldn't want it. He should care about the person more than to prop them up for a minute. No, you give the people the tools they need to grow in godliness. And, you know, you can give a guy a pep talk and say, man, have faith, pray, have some guts, have some courage, go ask her out. But you don't put the words into her, into his mouth. You don't give him a three-step process for how to... Well, plus women are different. There's not a three-step process. The three-step process that one Jake Amanda would not have worked with Nathan and Meredith would not have worked with Ben and Megan. All those women have different processes. I dare say some women have 20-step processes where other women have three-step processes. So, Because women are people. Women are people. And it's about relationship with another person. It is not a video game. It is not a computer code. It is not a vending machine. It is not a three or five or 12-step process. Right. It's but a dance. And you got to learn the dance. And if you want to say, well, I was born with one leg, then you need to learn how to dance with one leg. I don't have any rhythm. Well, you know what? Some people also don't have a whole lot of rhythm, but think it's fun to be out on the dance floor being goofy. And you know what? Find that person. Better that you find that person than that Jake helps you trick somebody who really wants a good dancer. Look, there's one other thing I want to say, which is a very simple piece of advice that got me through my dating life. You'll always regret what you don't do. This doesn't apply to sin, obviously, but I mean, come on. It's better to ask her out in a dorky way then take not, the risk not ask take her the out risk. yeah just take the risk take fail the risk. forward fail, fail forward. with the girl that's okay learn something and i just think i would much rather regret getting her the wrong flowers than regret never having the courage to get her flowers at all and wondering what would have happened if i had always regret doing the wrong thing again 
don't sin, not giving you a license to sin, not saying that. But I just think a good piece of life advice, particularly for stuff like this, is take a risk. You'll always regret the things you don't do. Mm-hmm. So go out there, get the woman, and slay the fox. The fox. <laughs> Unless the woman's the fox. If you slay her, then you're not going to make much of a way. Or read Song of Solomon and know where that reference came from. I read Song of Solomon after I was married and started to cry. That's too much information. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Next thing I knew, Radiohead and Dottie had arranged a secret marriage conducted by a robot rabbi that did clandestine marriages uh, deep within the heart of Jupiter. Fly me to the moon and let me play among the stars. Let me know what spring is like on... Hey, I've never been to the heart of Jupiter before, Radiohead. It's beautiful. And thanks for the hydrogen withstanding spacesuit, Radiohead. You're a real lifesaver. It was the least I could do for the best man at my clandestine robot rendezvous and wedding with Dot E. Ollie. I... Still can't believe there's a robot rabbi that performs weddings in Jupiter. More like Jupiter. <laughs> Don't make me use up my oxygen laughing, Radiohead. To think my best pal is capable of love, even though he's a robot, and he found a lady robot who reciprocates and a robot rabbi to perform the ceremony? It does seem far-fetched when you put it that way, Ollie. You can say that again. At that moment, a vast robot starship emerged from the whirling hydrogen clouds of Jupiter. And standing proudly on the outer deck of the starship, a, a thick electronic cigar clasped in his robot hands was Lord Antenna-Face Wireberg, Radiohead's father, a very important man of the robot on Mechador. Standing a few steps behind him was the lady robot known as Dot E. I am undertaking my programming as your father, Radiohead. Dot E, dot E, I do not understand. I am sorry, Radiohead. What is going on? Mr. Wireberg, sir, you better process up some answers. Patience, my biological friend. All will be explained. Speak now, father. Explain, explain, explain. Radiohead, son, you have always suffered from a malfunction. Your mother and I were aware of it since the day of your production. Radiohead ain't got no malfunction, Mr. Wireberg. He's the best robot pal the guy's ever known, except that he did try to kill me once. Let him speak, Ollie. Radiohead, you suffer from an anomaly in our production of robot sentience, a bug in the system that affects point zero 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 one six four three nine zero 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 six percent of robots created. These robots are usually decommissioned and used for spare parts, but your mother and I did not wish to see you handled thusly. What is this anomaly, father? An aberration not unlike the one experienced by human species of planet Earth and called by them love. But father, you always taught me robots cannot love. That is correct, and this malfunction has often rendered you weak, dissipated, and otherwise unfit for existence on Mechador. 
We have monitored your time on Earth and seen a similar diffusion of your abilities with this young human. Ollie is my friend. Robots do not have friends, Radiohead. Does not compute. Does not compute. And you cannot love another robot, for a robot cannot love you back. Does not compute. Does not compute. Bleep bloop. Why, father? This is why, in consultation with the High Council of Mechador, I decided to teach you a lesson. Soldier Unit 4786439, the one you know as Dot E, was tasked with this mission. But Dot E loves me, father. Let us ask her, is this true, Dot E? Negative, Lord Wireberg. But Dot E, I love you. I was programmed to manifest a sensation for you, Radiohead, just as all robots are programmed to perform various tasks. Yet, robots cannot truly love. That's not true. I love Radiohead, and, and he loves me. Ah, little one, if you could but see the clockwork precision of the programming that undergirds your own feeble experiences of love, of family, of growth, and reproduction. There is no love. There is only programming. There is no love. There is only the cold and beautiful machine that is the universe. There is no love. We are all only wind-up toys made of stardust. There is no love. We are all only wind-up toys made of stardust. There is no love. There is no love. But dot e, we were going to see M A C S zero six four seven dash J D together. Those are only stories Radiohead told to lull the weak-minded into reparative slumber. There is no love. But dot e, I love you. That is a failure in your design, Radiohead. There is no love. Come back to Mechador, Radiohead. There is no love. Embrace reason. There is no love. Be done with your illusions. There is no love. There is no love. Don't do it, Radiohead. Well, Radiohead. If it's all the same to you, Father, I prefer the illusion. Very well, Radiohead. You will see reason one day, however, and you will return. It is your programming. Hail Mechadorius and farewell. Goodbye, Radiohead. Goodbye, Dot E. Ah, oh, nuts to them, Radiohead. Nuts to all of them. They are my family, Ollie. They are my people. I get that, Radiohead. You can't help loving who you love. Negative, Ollie. Negative? I do not know how to process this, Ollie. I... I... Yeah? Yeah, Radiohead? Perhaps I am really malfunctioning. We all malfunction from time to time, Radiohead. And, and, and you know, love's... It's not easy. It's hard. Is that an oil spill coming out of your eye there? Negative, Ollie. Negative to all of it. I am a robot, Ollie, and robots do not love. Ollie, could you sing that song one more time? Fly me to the moon and let me play among Leap the blue. stars. Let me know what Leap spring blue. is like on
Sound of Sanity, produced by Nathan, executive produced by Nathan and Jake, associate produced by Ben, performed by all three of us. Go to patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity. Get all kinds of cool behind the scenes content, all kinds of neat bonus content. Video reviews of Star Wars, things like that. Until next time, folks. Stay sane. 